Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Stories of old have great meaning for us. Throwback is a series looking at the lives of biblical characters from long ago and how we still face the same challenges today. Hopefully we can learn from them, avoid some of their mistakes, and repeat some of their victories. Just as Jesus took 12 ordinary men and raised them up to be apostles who changed the world, just as Abraham had 318 trained men in his household, and just as Paul took a young man, Timothy, and raised him up to pastor the church in Ephesus. Here at Grace Life, we also believe the best model for finding ministry leaders is not hiring based on a resume, but raising up within our own family, helping each other to become all that God has called us to be. So... For these three weeks, we're giving this opportunity to some of the young men God is raising up here at Grace Life. I'm asking you to join me and extend your best support and encouragement. Let's clap for them, let's shout for them, and let's show them how much we believe in them and all that God is doing in their lives. Good morning, Grace Life Church. Thank you, thank you, I really appreciate that. So uh, this is something that I've always wanted to do, and uh, I want to thank Jimmy Currents and the uh, leaders at Grace Life for giving me the opportunity to do it. I feel like this is something that is a calling, and hopefully this won't be the last time you guys see me do it. At the um, end of this, they might have regrets, but we'll see. We'll have to talk to them after that. Um, I'd like to start off by saying that uh, my name is Troy Hines. I've been uh, married to Whitney Fleshman here for about five years, going on in August, and it feels like five minutes. Underwater. <laughs> All kidding aside, I love my wife dearly. She means absolutely everything to me. And also my wife, I mean, I'm sorry, my daughter, she means everything to me as well. Her name is Kearsley. She's three years old. And um, yeah, she's a cutie pie. But um, the other day, she and I were going for a walk. And uh, one of the things that Whitney and I want to make sure that we teach Kearsley as we, as we have time with her is to make sure that she understands that she needs to learn to trust God to do the right thing even when it's hard. And so as we were walking, we came up, and Kearsley noticed some trash on the ground. And she looked, and she said, Daddy, what's that? I said, well, Kearsley, that's trash. And she said, well, why is the trash there? I was like, well, you know, a car could have been driving by and, you know, could have accidentally flown out the back of the truck, or somebody could have been walking with it and accidentally dropped it, or they could have just thrown it on the ground. I gave her a really good explanation. And so then she looks at me, and she says, well, Daddy, what's that? So at that point, I realized that the conversation is going to go in a cycle. If you've ever talked to a three-year-old, they kind of go like that. And at that point, I was okay with the cycle. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking to myself, the nearest trash can is probably about a tenth of a mile away, and I have to walk holding trash, washing Kearsley. I really don't feel like doing it. But if I were to do the right thing, I would hold it and throw it away. And to me, that's a small example of trusting God, doing the right thing, even when it's hard, or even just inconvenient, right? So... The other part I was thinking about is how can I relate this to other people out here, right? So I was thinking about gossip, right? That's something that we all do at some point of our lives, or we want to do at least. And so imagine that you're at work or you're in some type of social situation and somebody comes up and they start gossiping to you about somebody else. Deep down inside, you might have something inside that you want to say because you have an opinion, right? But a buddy of mine, and this is where I'm pointing you out, Tay, a buddy of mine, he's ready, good. A buddy of mine, we, we studied the book of Proverbs together, and there's something that kind of, they kind of say redundantly throughout the book of Proverbs. And Tay, and I'm calling you out right here. What do they say? Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. That is right. <laughs> Shut your mouth, right? 
So whenever you have that feeling where you want to gossip or, you know, they, or you're hearing other people gossip, you want to give your opinion, you need to shut your mouth, right? That's just what it says. I think it says specifically shut your mouth in Proverbs. <laughs> At least that saved me a couple times. And so then another example of that is like say you're in an argument with your spouse and say your spouse says something that really hurts your feelings or makes you mad and you want to get them back, right? And so you have something on the tip of your tongue that you could say that would cut them down, right? And not only would it cut them down, but you would win the argument. And that's what matters, right? Winning the argument. But you feel that Holy Spirit inside of you that says, look, just let that go. Let the situation just go from there because if you say it, it's going to escalate. It's going to get bad, right? So another situation I was thinking of is say you're a student and say you're in class and you didn't study well for the test that you're getting ready to have and you happen to notice that the person sitting next to you that happens to be pretty smart is not covering their paper very well, right? You have to make a choice at that moment whether or not you want to trust God and do the right thing or do the hard thing. So the the hard thing would be, of course, taking that test and possibly failing it, maybe passing by the skin of your teeth. You don't know. You have to trust the outcome of God, and that's hard to do on a regular basis. And that's something that I think we all struggle with at some point in our lives. They might not be those exact examples, but this kind of thing has been going on for a long time. I mean, if you take it back to the biblical times. And that's where I want to talk to you guys about a guy named Gideon. Now, Gideon takes place in the book of Judges, and Judges is a pretty interesting book because it goes in a very obvious pattern. At one point, they're uh, not following God, they're, they're worshiping other idols, and they're doing wicked things, and then things get hard, they get sad, they get scared, and so they start crying out to God, and then God blesses them by raising up a judge, and the judge brings them back to God, and then as the judge is there, they're doing good, and then the judge passes and then they go back to worshiping idols, and they start doing wicked things, and the cycle just kind of goes up and down throughout the entire book. Now, Gideon takes place in chapter 6 through verse, chapter, chapter six through 8, and the story is extremely interesting. There's a lot of things that Gideon does that we would pretty much do on a regular basis in our own lives. I'll be covering chapter 6, but if you get an opportunity to read it, I highly encourage you to do so. Um, also, I want to give you a little bit of background on this story, right? So the Midianites are a neighboring nation that kind of come into Israel, not kind of, they do, they come into Israel, and they take whatever they want from the Israelites whenever they want to do it. A lot of times they would do it around harvest or, you know, whenever they want to take animals, they would take all their sacrificial animals, and they would come, and they said they would come to the point that it looked like swarms of locusts. That's how many there really were that would come and just take over the land. And so when I thought about it, this kind of came in my mind. Has anyone in this room seen the movie Friday that came out back in 1995 with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker, right? I got a couple of them, right? Okay, good. Got a couple of them. The first thing I think of is like that slow shark music and Debo coming. You know what I'm talking about? Like Debo's coming to take off. If you haven't seen it, I don't know if that's church appropriate, but either way. <laughs> it was funny for the time, but you probably don't want to do that. So we're going to pick up with the story of Gideon, and it's going to start on chapter 6, verse 12. And um, here we go. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. All right? And so then, verse 13, Gideon replies, Sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And so I'm going to do you guys a favor, and I'm not going to read all the scripture like that the entire time. But in my mind, as I sit back and read, if, you know, God's standing there and he's confident, you know what I'm saying? And that's how he's talking to him. And then you sit back and you hear Gideon, and Gideon sounds like a sissy. He sounds like he's scared. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And I honestly am not picking on Gideon too much because I truthfully feel that's how I sound when I pray sometimes. You know, I can't see the future, and I tend to wonder, you know, is he really going to be there for me? 
And um, I sound just the same way, but it's really interesting as you read the book of um, the story of Gideon and Judges that his voice tends to change. He sounds more confident as he builds his relationship with God. So it's a very cool point. So we'll pick up from there. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. But then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Gideon replies, But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So when I read that part of the scripture, I started thinking about what are some ways that we could talk about feeling inadequate, and what are some things. And you know, I talked to a few people to see what made them feel inadequate, and one of them that came up was like Facebook or Instagram or social media, how people will look at it and start comparing themselves. And you, know, you can go into the whole, you know, either you feel superior or inferior to somebody if you start comparing. And I had to stop because I thought to myself that Jimmy could probably do a five-week series on that topic by himself. So I'll let that go. But... Since I did, God gave me something in its place. Was anybody in the room here for the sermon last Sunday at 9 o'clock when Matt was uh, preaching? Yes. He did an amazing job. He did a really good. I was sitting over there on the side. I was sitting there listening. I was thinking to myself, man, he's sitting all the points. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's knocking over instruments. I mean, this dude, <laughs> this dude is tearing it up. I was like, this dude is awesome. And so, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm feeling real good for him. And then we get in the car. We start driving home. And then Satan gets in my ear. He says, you're not going to be as good. I mean, he was on point. I mean, you, you, you're just not, you're not good enough for this. And so I started thinking to myself, man, how can I get out of this? This is terrible, right? And so the one thing I remembered in his sermon, because it was very clear, he said, you know, God, you know, Satan will get in your ear and he'll have you making bad choices. And then you'll get to a point, you're like, how did I get to this point? Like, how did I get here? I'm like, I had gotten to a point where I felt good about my sermon. And then I got to a point where I was trying to get out of it that fast. It was crazy. But then I sat down, and I got in my closet, and I got in the dark, and I decided to pray to God, and God decided to talk to me, and he didn't really waste much time. He kind of got in my head real quick. He said, yes, Matt did an amazing job. I was with him. Yes, you will do a great job. I am with you. This has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with him. It's about you being my vessel, and it's about me reaching my people. That's what he said. I was like, Wow. I got up. I said, I don't have any time to be feeling bad for myself now. I need to just go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and get to it. And the cool thing about it is, is that's what he does for us, and that's what we need to let him do. So let's see here. Where am I at? Now, we're going back to uh, the Scripture. I think we're starting here next on verse 16. And the Lord said to Gideon again, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, I'm going to kind of skip ahead on Scripture, but in between that, I kind of want to give you guys this idea that Gideon tries to test the angel of the Lord a good bit in this story. This is one of the situations. And then the angel of the Lord tests him back. And so this is where the angel of the Lord tests Gideon. He says, Or that night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. I'm going to stop there for a second. So the first part I had to think about is, what exactly is an Asherah pole? I'd never heard of that before, right? So I had to look that up. So an Asher pole is a lot like a totem pole that is basically get dedicated to this uh, goddess Asher. That's a uh, Canaanite god. She's a goddess of the sea. All right, that's just a little piece of information. That doesn't really matter. The next part is that he had to tear down this huge altar, right? So when you think about an altar, you know, first thing you think of is not something that you set in your desk at work, like a little bobblehead. 
I didn't practice that much, so I'm sure I don't look like it, but that was kind of my idea. But you have like a bobblehead, and then you think of like, say, a fireplace. I was thinking something about the size of a fireplace. But if you think about it, he had to grab a bull. He needed to take a bull to help him bring it down. That's just like using a tractor. So this thing was huge. But see, not only was it huge, but it was on his father's land, right? So his father worshipped it. So I'm not trying to talk about myself in any way or any, or any bring myself up or boost myself up, but I'm a pretty decent-sized guy. I'm in pretty good shape. And I know for a fact that if God told me I needed to go to my father's house and rip down his big-screen TV off the wall, that's going to petrify me. You guys don't know who he is. He's a big guy. He's sitting right there with the, with the bow tie on, this huge guy, this huge guy. I'm not messing with him. But Gideon had to do that. He had to go, and he had to have the courage to do that. That is a fear, and that's a scary thing to do, but he had to do that. I'll keep reading. Then on verse 26, it says, Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on the hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as an offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the asher pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his household and the people of the town. So the first thing I think about with that is if I did knock down my dad's TV because he couldn't see his games or whatever he wanted to see, if he didn't kill me, my mom would because she likes reality TV. So I got I to run from either one of them. <laughs> but the idea behind it is, is that there are people of the town, there's people in his family. These are all Israelites. These are people that are Christians, just like he's supposed to be. And God asked him to do something that was right. But it was really hard because the people that are supposed to be on his same side were not with him to the point that they wanted to kill him for doing this. So my question to you guys is, is how do we overcome fear in order to obey God's voice? That's the hard part. So the first part we have to do is we have to acknowledge what God wants you to do. So I think about Gideon and his faith crisis. I didn't talk about this earlier when I was beginning to tell you guys a story, but they had a judge. The judge passed away, and so the, Gideon, uh, the, um, the Israelites were being attacked by the Midianites for seven years. For seven years, they were kind of being persecuted and being taken advantage of. And I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times if things aren't going my way after about seven minutes, I start wondering if God is there. You know what I'm saying? Is he really going to be there for him? But for seven years, he had to deal with that. So he had a crisis in faith. If you go back to the scriptures and you look at verse 22, it says, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord. So that's in between the scriptures of when he first saw the angel of the law of the Lord and then had to actually carry out the task, his test. And so it wasn't until verse 22 where he realizes, oh my gosh, I am actually talking to God. This is really God. And so if you can't acknowledge God when we're in these situations, then there's no way you're going to be able to follow his will for your life. So there's certain things that you can do in order to make that happen. And one is to surround, is to surround yourself around other Christians like yourself. You, you could read the Bible and read his word, and the more you learn his character, the more you understand him and the more you can react the way he needs you to, and the easier it will be for you to hear him. The next one is to trust God with the outcome. So to me, in my opinion, this is the absolute hardest part of the entire journey, is to trust God with the outcome. If you look back in the scriptures, it actually takes us a little further than where we had stopped to verse 31, and it says, but Joash, which is Gideon's father, shouted to the mob that confronted him because everybody, all the Israelites, wanted to kill him for tearing down this altar. 
They said, why are you defending Baal? If Baal truly is God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. So I go back to the whole scenario with the TV and knocking down my dad's TV. I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. And every time I've done that, my parents have always backed me up and been there for me, no matter what. But you've got to think about how Gideon probably didn't see it playing out that way. He thought he was going to you know, really make his father angry. He thought that and all these people were going to want to kill him, and they wanted to. But God changed his father's heart so that his father would stand up for him and actually believe the same thing he was supposed to. So it's not only that God was working through uh, Gideon, he was also working through his father as well. Very interesting point. But the hardest part of that whole thing is that we can't see the future. We can't try to predict it, and we can't try to continue to think that anything, because in all honesty, God has control of everything. The last point I like to use is my Nike, my Nike line here. But uh, just do it, man. If God gives you something to do, a lot of times what you have to do is not going to be that hard if you do it for God and if you can hear him. The hardest part is acknowledging him because a lot of times we walk around with blinders and we can't, and we can't see it. But if we can actually see what God wants us to do, that's a huge step. The second part is to actually trust him. And so if you can trust him and not worry about the outcome, which is the hardest because we want to control everything, we want to be our own lords, then it doesn't work. But when it actually comes to carrying out what he wants you to do, if you can take care of the first two, it's really not that hard. But you have to get past the hardest two. So from here is where I want to kind of finish up a little bit, not quite, but we're getting there, with my testimonial. Now, this testimonial that I have really is the biggest God moment of my entire life. It's really the biggest God moment of my wife and I's life. Um, I like to think of it as this huge white canvas that God puts up in front of me. And he's almost like David Pollock, as like Whitney and I tell this story. She has her version, I have my version. And it's almost like David Pollock is just throwing paint on this, um, on this canvas. And then when you step back and you look at it, you're like, this is amazingly beautiful how I can see the artwork of God. I know he does it in everybody's life, but it's just an amazing blessing when you can sit back and look at it. So I'll go ahead and start with it. About seven years ago, Whitney and I met, and we started dating, kind of. We did that whole talking thing. I don't know if they do that anymore. But anyway, we were doing that whole talking thing, and we got along really well. We had a good time. We always enjoyed ourselves. But at the end of the day, I had a fear commitment, and she had a hard time trusting men. So unfortunately, we ended up breaking it off. Here's where it gets crazy, right? The person that is a mutual friend of ours, we're going to call her Mrs. X, she began to show interest in me. And so that was a point in my life when I always believed in God my entire life, but I wasn't always following Jesus. And that is a huge difference. I believed in God, and I recognized he was there every once in a while, but as far as doing things the way I wanted to, I basically lived life the way I wanted to. And unfortunately, as she came with temptation, I... So come, I ended up falling into it. Fortunately, it didn't last very long. Now, shortly after that, we had decided nothing was going to happen anymore. We weren't going to do it anymore. Whitney came back into my life. As Whitney came back into my life, we began to get closer and build God actually as our foundation because I had actually found Jesus at that point. We started reading the book, Purpose Driven Life, and every, every day we'd read a chapter and talk about it, and it made us much more close. So much so that I remember one night specifically, we were at my house, and we were having a conversation. In the middle of the conversation, I stopped, I looked Whitney in the eyes, and I said, I will never lie to you. 
And I remember we finished our conversation. I remember after that, she left. I was like, why did I say that? That is crazy. Like, I'm not a liar. I don't compulsively lie to people. But to just go out of my way and tell her that, that's just somewhat out of character. But for some reason, I did. And I believe it was by the Holy Spirit because about a week or two later, he tested me on it. A week or two later, I'm at my best friend Evan's house. We're over there working out. And I get a call from Mrs. X, and she tells me that she threw a party, a mutual a party, and that Whitney was there, and her husband was there, and everything came out about what happened. Wow. So she told me that, kind of hit me in the gut, and I was like, well, let me call you back and finish my workout, because I have to process what you just told me. And so I did, and after I finished my workout, my buddy looked at me, and he said, so are you going to lie for Mrs. X, or are you going to tell the truth for God? I was like, man, that's cold-blooded. I felt like taking a knife he had given me and just giving it back to him. But the hard part about that is, is that kind of goes back to the concept of acknowledging what God wants you to do. He told me that, and I did not want to acknowledge it. I left it alone. I left it on the table. As I left his house, I called Mrs. X, and we talked about it, and I told her that, you know, it doesn't make sense to really tell her. We're not doing this anymore. We're never going to do this again. So I was like, it doesn't make sense to let her know. Let's just leave it alone. And she agreed. Now, Mrs. X went to the same church, and so she was going to see Whitney the next day, and she was going to let Whitney know that nothing happened. So we're just going to leave it with that. The next day, I went to church, and as I was in church, I'm definitely in fire for Christ at this point. I'm loving it. And the pastor's in the middle of his sermon. He stops everything, and he says, I don't know why I'm stopping right now, but the Holy Spirit is in me. And he said, the truth shall set you free. And I was just like, it hit me in the gut. I would get down on my knees now, but I won't because I got white pants on. But I fell, to my white <laughs> I fell to my knees with tears in my eyes, and I was looking at the pastor. And I remember as I looked at him, there was complete tunnel vision. Nothing else was there. It was just him. And I don't remember anything else he said except for the truth shall set you free. I get goosebumps thinking about it right now because it's like it happened just, just yesterday. So after church, I told my friend, I said, look, I've got to go. I've got something I've got to do. And I drove back to a friend's house. I sat there and talked to them for a while, and this friend lived in the same neighborhood as Whitney. And as I walked out of his house and went to leave, I, I went ahead and I made this kind of bargained with God a little bit. If you read the book of Gideon or the story of Gideon, he bargains with God a lot. So I bargained with God. I was like, look, okay, as I drive home, if she happens to be coming home from church and goes into her street, then I will go knock on the door and tell him, tell her what you want me to tell her. So I'm driving down the road, and as I go by, she's not there, so I just keep right on going, right? I thought I was good. I get about a mile and a half, two miles down the road, and the Holy Spirit's like, man up. He said, turn around, go back to the house. So I turned around, I went back to the house, and I knock on the door, and I give it a good value and effort. I knock like five times. And so after that, I realize she's not there. I leave, so I say, okay. Obviously, the Holy Spirit wants me to do this, so I start driving home, and I'm telling you guys right now, if you were behind me while I was driving that day, I really apologize, because I was probably driving about two miles an hour. I was so stressed. It was probably the most stressful point of my entire life that I can think of, because as I drove, I was so tense as I was holding the wheel, just squeezing it as I was driving, because I was having conflict with the Holy Spirit the entire way. I was trying to predict the outcome the entire way. I thought that Whitney, this woman that I care about so deeply, not even really understanding that I'm actually in love with her, may never talk to me again. And then Mrs. X, she's somebody that we get along with, we're cool, we're good friends, she may never speak to me again. Or what about Mr. X, right? 
you hear stories in the papers about how these guys go crazy and kill people. I mean, this is real stuff. I mean, I was in complete conflict. And is, does anybody in here work out on a regular basis? Anybody? I know I've got at least two sitting in the back, so I know I've got a couple, right? Okay, so I've got a couple people that will understand that whenever you work out on a consistent basis, it gets really hard to get sore. And I'm not telling you this in any other reason, just to let you know that I carried so much stress that day that I was sore in my upper body for three weeks straight. I couldn't do anything just because the tension with the Holy Spirit was that hard. The cool part about it, though, is that as I drove up and I finally got to my neighborhood, I went to go turn in, and Whitney was sitting in my driveway. <laughs> How crazy is that, right? This lady never just came to the house unannounced. She was always, you know, she, she would always call and ask before, but she happened to be sitting in my driveway. So I pulled up to the house, and as I drove up, I knew at that point, it's time to get it done. Just do it, right? It's time to do it. So I pull up to the house, I get out the car, and she had just had a conversation with Miss X about how nothing had happened. And so she ran up, and she gave me a big hug, just happy, just knowing that it wasn't true. And I got out, and I looked at her, and I said, well, did she tell you the truth, or did she lie? Because here's the truth. And so I told her. It was the hardest thing that I had to do. The, the whole process leading up to it was crazy. I never experienced anything like that before. But it's what God wanted me to do. So I had to acknowledge it. Then I had to trust his will for my life. And then I just had to do it. Now I sit back and I think about that. If I didn't do that, would I be on this stage right now? Would I ignore him in other phases of my life? Would I be married to Whitney right now? Would we have our daughter, Kearsley? And so whether it's a, a huge situation like that or something small, that's why with Kearsley, I went up and I picked up that trash because I want her to see to do the right thing, whether it's hard or whether it's easy or just inconvenient or whatever it may be. I want her to learn to do that every day because that's what God wants from her. So my, my whole deal with this is as I had this on my heart and I wanted to talk to you guys, I know my situation may not be exactly like yours. It may be a lot easier than mine. It might be a lot harder. I have no idea what situation you guys are in right now. But it's going to be my prayer for you guys that you can face whatever this demon is, whether it's big or small, that you can acknowledge what God is telling you and then have the courage to do it, having eyes to see and a heart that's open to the Lord's will. And so for some of you that don't have a relationship with the Lord, I have a different prayer for you. It's hard to have a relationship with the Lord if you haven't invited him into your life already. And it's really easy to try to live your life for yourself and to do things your way. But it takes a lot to just give it to the Lord and just allow him to lead it for you. Because once he does, it's much easier as you go through the hard process. And then in hindsight, you can always look and see how much better it is. And it's really hard because a lot of times you sit back and you think about wanting that instant gratification versus seeing it in hindsight later on where it could be better in his will. So with that, I'd like to close out with a prayer for everyone else that's in here that's not necessarily following Jesus. And what I'd like to do is just to invite you to start a relationship, a conversation with them, and that's all it really has to be. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come to the front of the church. Nothing crazy like that. It's all about just starting a relationship with our Father. So if you will bow your heads. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you for being my God 
and for being who you are. I realize that all my life I have lived for myself and I'm not living anywhere near the place that I could be as if I was with you. I know that you have died for me so that I can live for you. I pray that you will give me eyes to see and a heart that is open to your will with trust, and then I can have the courage to take that step, and this is my first step. So it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.